0: Hello and welcome to the first SOP podcast for 2024, brought to you by thescienceofpsychotherapy.net and presented by me, Richard Hill. For those of you who've been looking at and watching our podcast for a while, this might all sound a little bit solo at the moment. That's that's because my great friend Matt Darlitz from the Science of Psychotherapy he wants to spend more time focusing on the technical stuff in the background and he actually wants me to present. Well, I'm not short of a chat and so it suits us both down to the ground because I just love doing the S I P podcasts where we get to really explore what, what it is to be human, this complex, fascinating thing that we are. And we we look at what people are thinking, you know, who's, uh, what are they doing, uh, what's innovative, what's new, what's developing and where are the insights coming that are opening the doors of possibility because that's the great goal. That's the goal of science to find out what we don't yet know. And in psychotherapy, we're trying to find out what is helpful to others to improve their mind, their body and really the soul as well. So today we start with a fabulous guest. Merle Yost comes to us from Colorado in the USA and fascinating guy. Been working as a psychotherapist for over 25 years but he's decided to put that aside a little bit and focus on some of this really this breakthrough workshop which has now become online. It's the seven steps to powerful boundaries. He's got a number of publications which are have all come to fruit in this wonderful workshop. And he'll talk about all those and explain that great story. So let's go over to Colorado in the USA and talk with Merle Yost. Hello and welcome, Merle Yost, to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yeah, it's it's terrific. There's, there's so much material. I've mentioned a few things uh, just before you came on, uh, before we come on here. But your life has been so interesting, your work is so interesting, uh, and and you're at a position now where, uh, well, can you just tell me a little bit about the last, a quick potted history of the last 10 or 15 years, the sort of uh, things you've been working on, and where you've got yourself to now uh, with the, the work you're presenting and the work you're dealing with?
1: All right. Delighted to. Thank you. Oh, for the last... 15 years or so, I was to the point of ending my psychotherapy practice. It was a long, I did it for many, many, many years uh, in private practice. And it became clear that, that I was really done doing that on a daily basis, that in some ways it was too small. I mean, I love doing the work and I still do intensives on occasion. People come to me for five consecutive days for 10 consecutive hours and uh we do a lot of really deep fast work there's a whole lot of homework that goes into making that happen first but i really discovered that what i wanted to do next was teach and so i developed workshops and i wrote my sixth book uh uh, actually fifth and sixth book and put those out there and uh eventually i started doing workshops in person and then COVID hit of course (laughs) And destroyed everything and the the world changed and is never going back so now it's all online and and so i uh, spent the last couple of years writing the seven steps to powerful boundaries recording it several times and rewriting it several times and bringing it to the world and it's now out there and available now i'm creating space to write my seventh book so i'm having a good time
0: fantastic so so let's go there the uh uh, the, these wonderful seven steps to powerful boundaries. Now that's a new video program. you've been doing this in in workshop. but as you say even there uh, with clients it's small, with workshops it's small. now it's got this broader this broader uh, reach. So that's what we want to uh, let's let's look upon that as the first thing that we're talking about to make people aware of. Now this program, the seven steps to powerful boundaries, boundaries. What are we talking about here now we've all got lots of ideas and i've had a little look at your stuff and you've got a lovely uh really interesting and i think invigorating uh perspective on this whole process and this whole uh subject oh great yeah because boundaries hey.
1: the problem with boundaries is everybody blames everybody else for their bound boundaries, bad boundaries <laughs> and they're not taking responsibility for their own selves and their own lives and so and we also misunderstand it. we are taught our boundaries in childhood. I call it the dance of intimacy, how we interact with men our father teaches us how we interact with women our mother teaches and we take that out to the world. We think that's just how the world works because our parents are gods and they obviously know everything <laughs>
0: yeah yes that, so that, that gets that gets run out pretty quickly. I'm a grandfather now I oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: And then we go to work and we turn our bosses into our parents because we're trying to work out the stuff we didn't be able to work with our parents. And we marry our spouses in one form or, or marry our parents in one form or another and trying to work that out with them instead of going in and doing the work on ourselves and cleaning it up and making this easier. And so we all make it about the other person and what they're doing and what they're not doing. But but where I come from, my training gestalt. Uh, and buddhism and a few other rather interesting things is it's about energetic boundaries that each we're made up of energy we're all just atoms so everybody's just this big ball of energy and once you really understand that energy and how it works and learn how to stay in your bubble of energy is the word i would use you then can control what comes in and the truth is that you never want to merge merging is bad the exception being a child under 18 months of age, the parent has to be merged with the child in order to track what the child needs. But from 18 months to three years of age, the parent withdraws because if they're there after three years of age, they're intruding upon the development of the self of the child. And the parent's job is to continually reflect back the child's external experience until they internalize that and develop a solid sense of self. And then they can be in the world without merging with everybody too, (laughs) in order to do that. But we've made merging such a big part of the culture. Two shall be as one when you get married. And it's a great way to kill sex because merging absolutely because sex happens at the contact boundary. That's where the excitement happens. And if you're merged, there's no excitement happening. And then so you end up with all these sexless relationships and people don't understand. And and what and all this silliness about. Feeling people's feelings and feeling their pain, and all of this in order to have empathy and compassion. It's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense because our real job is to validate that they're in pain, to be the witness of their experience so that they feel seen and acknowledged for their pain. They don't need you to get in there and mess with it for them. (laughs) It's not useful to you. And you're absorbing all of their stuff. And then you have to figure out how you're going to get rid of it,
0: which makes no sense at all. Yeah, this this is so uh, interesting what you're saying because um, uh, I mean. We- Always got to be cautious when when we're listening to someone bringing a different point of view, because you know, swinging the pendulum. I mean, there's there's frameworks of engagement and interpersonal and 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 an integration of the of the frames. But it is very true that what there's been there's, there's been enormous amount of this of I need to feel your stuff. I need to actually be you. And it it uh, and people also misunderstand sympathy for empathy, uh, which is. Another, uh, we won't open that can of worms just at the moment because there's more important stuff going on in the in the discussion. But this framework that I am a witness, I am, uh, and I'm I'm u- doing a lot of work, and I'm using the word responsive. I'm I'm here to be responsive as I contribute myself. But if I'm trying to be you, or I'm trying to emulate you, uh, then 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 what does that what does that leave me with? And this is interesting. Let's have a little look at this. This more on relationships, um, okay. because because I know that's one of the uh, the areas that's that's very strongly dealt with in here. But we'll have a look at the two aspects. One is the 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 intimate, the the, the close um, uh, love relationship, uh, uh, partner relationship, but also then that relationship, uh, that friend relationship that um, that deep companion there what what are your thoughts on the way those two things whether there's you know the similarities and differences and how you manage to teach them boundaries and how to work there?
1: well okay first of all boundary literally the definition of boundary is where you stop and they start. I mean it's that simple it's no more complicated than that that we have we we've, we've messed up that boundary <laughs> through all the things we were just talking about. And so in terms of friends and in terms of a partner, I think it all comes down to vulnerability and that we have different levels of vulnerability with these people. I mean, sometimes people have more vulnerability with their friends than they do, their <laughs> houses, which is kind of sad. And vulnerability, so, so let me define vulnerability because I think that's misunderstood as well. Vulnerability is the act of revealing a part of yourself that risk being rejected, shamed, humiliated. And so that's intimacy. And so the more intimacy you develop, the more trust you have, the more you can expose who you are. That doesn't mean merge with them. that just means being open to being actually seen for who and how you are. Mm-hmm. And so we do this with different uh, degrees with different people and hopefully most of that's with your spouse and that they can hold that container, or hold themselves and witness of you so that you feel seen, not that you'd need to be
0: rescued, per se. <laughs> yeah, there, there so, was. It, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite songs uh, of Billy Joel's, and actually apparently one of his favorite songs, too. It was, it was a love song about a relationship that was doomed, um, pretty much. But it just had this lovely line in it, and he said, You can have my heart to break. So it's sort of the pendulum swing the other side, but it was sort of saying, "I am prepared. It, it is not a burden to me to risk the fact that this might not go. That I am I'm prepared to be vulnerable with you, and if it goes west, okay, it goes west. But if it goes north, wow!
1: Yeah, because your your partner, spouse, should be the person who knows you most, who sees all of you." and that you've d- slowly exposed all of this to them so you aren't dumping it all on them in one time and saying yes. here.
0: <laughs> not for the first date yeah
1: you're putting all of my shit right now and so let's see if you can swim or not <laughs> <laughs> so we it's but it's 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 uh, it's something that happens over time as you deepen the trust and you expose yourself and you feel seen and validated and loved by this person in spite of whatever your shortcomings are that hopefully you're working on at the same time and just not expecting them to deal with it forever and ever so and that's that's how you build trust that's how you build intimacy and you build that excitement at the contact boundary because you're you're bouncing up against each other in a good way yeah you can be seen Uh, it was one of the things that ended my uh relation i was in a 19 year relationship and uh we were in paris I was depressed because I'd understood we had a, a problem. Then when we were in London, and I understood what was going on, and he didn't, and and he and I said, "I'm so depressed." And I said, "And you don't seem to get it." He says, "Well, you expect me to be a therapist?" And I said, "No, I I think after eighteen year
0: eighteen years, you should be able to read my moods."
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, the, this impasse of of um, communion uh, and uh, so now is that wh- what's that in the relation to the boundaries where where someone actually creates a uh, they create a boundary that stops uh, you know that doesn't allow for the bouncing so that's kind of what you're saying like yeah your partner would stop bouncing he'd sort of stopped earlier saying I don't want to go and I'm leaving a gap uh, am I seeing, uh, is that a reasonable sort of interpretation? I, guess, I just, and I would, in his
1: particular case, it was just, he was unwilling to do his own work.
0: Right.
1: So I'm getting more and more naked because I had done 20 some years of psychotherapy and all the other stuff that I was doing in all the trainings. And so I was just there and I was visible and he was unwilling to do that. And ultimately it killed the relationship because the gulf got so far between us that we couldn't cross it anymore. Because that's uh,
0: interesting. It <laughs> uh, if you have these gulfs, they will grow. Yeah, yeah. The 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 gap between, and I think this is why. Well, we hear this in in even more passive uh, tales. I mean, that one had a particular element, but we talk where the where people say we've just grown apart. Right,
1: it's their language, right? And they have because they haven't stayed in contact. They haven't grown. You really. Being in a relationship means growing together. Yeah. If you're going to have a long-term relationship, you both have to continue to deepen. You both have to get more and more naked with the other person, literally, <laughs> and yeah. figuratively. And if you don't, then, then you're literally going to stop growing. And the relationship will stop growing.
0: Now you give us a beautiful, uh a beautiful sort of temptation to um to quantify this uh in a simple way. And I know it's not simple, but what you've done is you have actually clarified things down to sort of seven steps uh in this. And I love the term. I'm beginning to understand uh with greater clarity what you mean by powerful boundaries. They're actually boundaries that allow you to bounce up more rather than yeah. you know, sort of powerful, yeah. strong separations. Uh, yeah. It's- so what can you give us a sort of a a, a quick sort of pricey of those seven uh, seven steps they have in the program?
1: Sure. The step one is because every boundaries all come back to what you learned in your family. So we take you back to your childhood, and you get to go back and look at your childhood through a different lens. Who was and did your who was the, the did the parent love you? Did the parent abuse you and say they loved you? <laughs> yeah. So if you spent your childhood getting humiliated, shamed, and beaten. That's what you think intimacy and love is, and so you go out into the world looking for that unconsciously, and so guess what? You're going to have terrible boundaries as a consequence. So you have to recognize that and heal that and do something about that. So we take you back through that. I do a, uh, and I won't go into going too many too much detail here, but it's an exploration of your childhood to look to see what that dance of intimacy you learned in your family was, mm-hmm. and then step two is simply it's the most academic of all of the steps, but it's a description of the 15 major boundaries and what they actually are. (laughs) So that we can just talk about that. So it's a context that's holding the whole thing. Step three is an introduction to step uh, to energetic boundaries, how I'm in this electric bubble and you're in this bubble, and how those bubbles can bounce up against each other, and how you can tune into anybody anywhere just by tuning into their bubble and knowing what's going on with them. I tell this story, I worked out with personal trainers a lot, and I walked into the gym one morning and my personal trainer was standing there. And I said, Hi, how are you? He said, Great. And I said, No, you're not. <laughs> And his response was "goddamn psychic psychotherapist. So,
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just obvious to me, he was really bad shape and it turned out to be true. So, but I didn't need to merge with him to know that simply when I made the initial tune, I could, I could tell that was how I work with clients. I could sit there and track what was going on in their bodies by tracking what was going on in my body, not by merging with them, but by my bubble being in contact with their bubble. And I could tell what was going on. So when you learn the basics of this, it's really amazing.
0: So, that's, so that's like a sensitivity, isn't it? This, uh, well, Ernie Rossi a, and I would talk about that a lot.
1: Yeah, there's a certain level of intuition, but it's mostly just learning how to truly track what your experience is. There's something called the Heart Math Institute that asserts, suits, asserts that we carry in our heart chakra, we carry the complete map of everything that's going on inside it. And so when I tune into that, I know everything that's going on inside of you. Mm. And you can know everything that's going on inside of me. So it's just amazing. And once you learn to trust that and practice that, it just opens up the world to you. And so my clients were like, how did you know that? How did you know this was going on over here in the I, You told me.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. So where are we? Uh, Step four.
1: Okay. Step four is uh, my most fun one. It's the most intense one. and It's a clean no. It's a deep. Di- it's a deep dive into shame and guilt and all the things that keep you from saying no cleanly, so that you aren't lost in that stuff uh, and guilt and shame. And it's so it's it's not fun, but it's it's it'll change you. And then step five is the is the advanced ener- energetic boundaries, which you get the full picture of it. Uh, and then uh, step six. Uh, is, is really deepening into clairvoyance and intuition and these other skills to learn really how to utilize your body to tune into this stuff even more powerfully and effectively and some other basic tools. And then step seven is just integration of all the parts of it into this big glorious finale.
0: Yeah, I mean integration is the is well. We talk about this a lot at science of psychotherapy. the The nature of systems uh, and the nature of the complexity of systems, and it's we we it's important to differentiate the elements and explore them and expand them and give them greater depth and clarity. Then you put them all back together again. I, uh, and I I I make quite a lot of criticism where I talk about the trouble with. Therapeutic practices is that we differentiate an element like a cognitive thing or perhaps a somatic thing, and then we give it three letters. We put a fence around it, and then we charge twenty bucks to use it. It's uh, rather than putting it back into the system. Uh, yes, so that's beautiful, and that uh, uh, now with the new book, this is working with the uh, the the program of the the unspoken boundaries. And you've got this uh, also, your most recent book is Facing the Truth of Your Life. Yes. Is that embracing those seven steps? What are we expanding to in there? What else are we embracing in that book?
1: No, the book was actually written before I even started the first workshop. Oh. So that was, I was writing it when I went to Australia.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I haven't made a fuss about the fact that you've come to Australia, but I'm making a fuss now. Uh, a man who has traveled and wise now. <laughs> so it writing turned- that book, facing the truth in your life—it's such a powerful title.
1: Yeah, and it scares the shit out of most people, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, it was—it was a little too confrontive, as it turns out. What it was was, is that I completed practice. I had sold my home in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. I had was I, tra- I went to Mexico for uh, three months or something like that, and then I got on a cruise ship and went from san diego to auckland new zealand for 30 34 days and that was my idea of heaven <laughs> but i t- love writing on cruise ships it's the it's there's it's the best writers uh work uh thing you can do because all your needs are taken care of all you can do you can just write and every in your bed is cleaned and made and your food is all provided you have entertainment you can just write to your heart's content with no distractions it's glorious
0: we're, we're, we're brothers in this i actually do one of my books was written uh on the cruise ship and i'm going to write my phd in april
1: uh, <laughs> yes so, so do you understand absolutely <laughs>
0: understand yeah
1: so but so what it was it was this, this distillation of what i had learned in almost 30 years of being a psychotherapist and so I wanted to share some of that knowledge. And so I take on a lot of sacred cows. I piss off a lot of people in it. It's really intense. Uh, I challenge self-love. I don't believe in it. I think it's a really bad concept. I challenge forgiveness. I think it's misused. <laughs> I, uh, I, I take on the whole concept of, of what I call the victim identity disorder. And how that's such a dead end. It's a great way to end your life. And so, uh, so I go after all this stuff, and it uh, it pisses off a lot of people. But there's a lot of people tell me it's changed their lives. So,
0: yeah, I, I'm hearing quite a lot of um, reaction to um, to a lot of these elements. I mean, I think it will settle down. I mean, first of all, we have to have the reaction, then we can have the response. We can come more into the frame. But I was just talking about it the other day um, uh, and exactly this this subject of of how we get uh, too focused on being in the difficulty. Um, the, the Stephen Porges uh, describes this. He says, we don't have a trauma problem. What we have is a, a system problem, an, an autonomic uh, nervous system problem uh, that has become where you get imbalances but by constantly reframing yourself around the past, uh, past history, then you're not doing anything about recovering, recovering, and how to reset yourself. Uh, but we don't reward it; we reward being a victim. It's because
1: yes. the competition for being the big, biggest victim in the world is what it's all turned into at this point.
0: Yes, <laughs> you surely must have had something, something terrible. Must have. What is bothering you? And 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 this. Is this reflective of the fact that there is so much difficulty going on in the general culture that we're actually, uh, uh, one of the ways in which we explain it is we say, oh, but this, the, the world can't be terrible. I, it, it must be a little bit of me. That's, um, perhaps I've just thrown that in and, and it's just a, a thought that come in on the top of my head. Um we're we're trying to dissociate or or disconnect or something, but what is stable in our lives is that I can be a victim. It's not a good yes. stability.
1: It's how people get em- empathy. They people feel sorry for them. They yeah. don't expect things of them. It's a it's a get out of jail free card. Right. They don't have to cry anymore because they're a victim. And so, and what I my answer to that is, we've all been victimized. Nobody gets through this unscathed. Some worse than others. And I've certainly had my share of really ugly stuff, but I could have stayed there and been miserable and weighed 300 pounds and blamed everybody else for it. Or I could heal that and take back my power and stop giving it away because that's what you do when you're a victim. You're giving away your power to them. You've now changed my life. It's your responsibility. I'm doing nothing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, and, and of course, I you know, obviously I know you're sort of saying, and there's a sliding scale of that, but uh, everywhere. Well, no from the... Big
1: the, But no matter how big the victimization and I, in, in the book, I talk about small hurts and I talk about big hurts. And so, cause they're handled differently. And so what we're talking really here is big hurts. And that's when we get into the whole forgiveness conversation, because how many people have you seen their children were just slaughtered in a in a car wreck or a gun thing, and and then somebody comes and says, well, I forgive them for killing my children, which is absolute bullshit. And I've had plenty of people say, well, I've told everybody I forgive them, but I really didn't. Well, of course not. <laughs> and yeah, so,
0: Yeah, putting this in a, in a, a practical context uh, for listeners to understand, um, that just in case people are thinking you're dismissive of this stuff, which I don't think no. is coming across at all, you actually have done a lot of work with uh, men who have who are still trying to get over their early sexual um uh, sexual abuses and things of their of their childhood and so bringing them utilizing this work how does that frame in the context of working with people who who have pretty good reason to feel as though they've been victimized or or been been damaged
1: well First of all, I was sexually abused by my father for three years from nine to twelve, brutally. And I do mean brutally. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of empathy. But I also know that if you you if you don't heal it, then it just it just gets worse and it becomes who you are. And there's no win in that. And so by working with them and helping them heal and getting to a point, but what I mean by healing is that means it's called taking back all of your power that you've given away to this person. Because when you stay in a victim place, you're giving away all of your power to them to make your life miserable, to make you miserable and you, and they don't deserve that. First of all, that much power, (laughs) you should take back your, all of the power you give them to make you feel bad, to make you feel like a victim. You have to work through all of that and say, I was victimized and I can say this, I was victimized by my father and I hated him for years until I finally took back all of my power and say, no, that's on you. It's your job to come to me and apologize to me for what you did and make amends. It's not my job to forgive you and let you off the hook and give you absolution for something that, that should never be given absolution for. So I don't ever believe in that because I think it's, it's bad karma you're robbing them of the opportunity to heal their karma and it's not helping you at all so by taking back your power and not giving them anything if you see them there's just nothing there because you've got you're completely collected all of you back
0: how do we describe that in the context of uh, boundaries just what what's the the using that um, context that you've done
1: well again we're back to the energetic boundary so if every time i go i see you and i go back to the wound, and then I let you in there to we wound me over and over and over again. I just completely surrendered. I'm the, the dog that rolls over and puts his belly in the air and says, and uh, the uh, top and says, like, you can kill me now.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so, the boundary, there's actually no boundaries. You've
1: exactly right. You've no just energy in people.
0: your boundary. Mm.
1: I'm completely about keeping that energetic boundary there all the time with everybody, including your partner. Uh, because relationship is about joining it's not about merging
0: yeah that, that and you've said that uh, so effectively so many times but that's that's just really powerfully again the, the the joining and the merging and and I know with my partner we were just uh, talking about it 20 minutes ago or half an hour ago um how women give up their identity a lot um uh, and and in fact what we've got is a secondary thing happening in the current generation is they're not giving up anything or they're not um they're not so they're not joining so one was yes. too much merging and now we've got uh the, the uh, spectrum factors. yes <laughs> mm. so there's there's a constant need to um to review and uh, uh and and recollect and reframe and uh this is exactly what these programs, uh, uh, this program of yours is obviously going to do because it allows you to go through the steps. And even that beautiful, I, lo- I mean, although I, I, I know you're saying it's more technical, that second step, the 15 boundaries, it's a fabulous way where you can get a grip of stuff because those 15 boundaries or those 15 issues to, to boundaries coming at you in one go, it's, it's like a wrecking ball. But you break them up and you go, oh, it's just a bunch of little things.
1: Yeah, like the simple one in there is like different cultures have different ways of saying hello and greeting. Wow. And so that's a cultural boundary.
0: Yeah, you you can see it broadly with languages, but it's within different cultures in within cultures. You know the subcultures, and uh, and it's exactly right. I mean, you you I, I can imagine you see someone get up uh, in America, they get up and they say, you know, hello mom, hello dad, you know, g'day brother. Well, Australia, g'day brother, and I say, hey, what the hell are you doing? I mean, you could see the the these changes depending upon the the uh, the environment, context is important. And I see that as being terribly, uh, just coming up in my mind. This, well, there it is, being sensitive to the context and the state of the other person is an important Always. part of your context.
1: Absolutely. Always. Yeah. And most people don't have any clue what boundaries are. Uh, and once you really understand these energetic boundaries and how they work... Uh, Example is is that I uh, women often get really unhappy when guys are catcalling them. So, so what happens is is that the guy catcalls them, and all of a sudden, he gets all of her attention. Guess what? He wanted all of her attention. He didn't care that it was good attention or bad attention, he simply wanted all of her attention by pulling her. her energy away from him completely, there's nothing for him to connect to and he just goes away.
0: Right. He wanted to disempower her or take her power away or dissolve her boundary.
1: Yeah, right. He just wanted, yeah, he wanted, he wanted all of her onto him and he got it.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So
1: it's and so by energetic so I teach him energetically how to put the boundary and there's nothing for him to connect to. Uh, there's an example I used in the workshop. I was, I lived in carpentry California for a number of years and I walked the beach every day and I always wear a hat. Well, I look as good as I do at my age.
0: <laughs> well done. And,
1: and uh, one day I was walking back and this homeless guy took offense to my hat that I was wearing because he's wearing a cowboy hat that I had bought in Australia. I think I don't remember where I bought it, but no, I bought it in Mexico. And, um, he started chasing, he started following me and yelling at me. And so I started doing these techniques that I would teach somebody and he just stopped like that because there was nothing for him to connect to. I just completely disconnected from my energy. And so he stopped following me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is, and there's a word in there that just jumped out at me because it's, it's something uh, we sort of accuse Americans of it um, a a lot, but um, I think it's fairly broad as I travel around the world. Uh, but Americans do seem to do it quite well. And it's this thing of taking offense. Uh, you are offending me. In the context of what we're talking about here, boundaries and, and uh joining and repelling. What's what's a discussion? What, what's something you can explain to us about that that tendency to take offense?
1: Well, most of us are pretty fragile.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, honestly,
1: we're easily pricked. And so There's a way to say that I think your behavior is inappropriate. And there's another way of saying that you've offended me and I'm deeply, mildly wounded and and making it all about you. See, I'm making it about them. Yeah. That's the difference. Because if you make it about you, you've just lost your boundary and it's kind of all over. If you make it about them, uh, if somebody's bullying you, you say, like, why would what does it say about you that you would say something like that? To me. This is about you. This isn't about me. So you put it back on them and give it back to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sort of ties in a bit with some of the work I'm doing in what I call the curiosity. It's sort of like, wow, what are you doing? I know you're you're saying terrible things to me. That's really interesting. But wow, why would you do that? Where Where is that coming from? Well, sit down, let me have a chat. I'll see if you. you have a choice as to whether you're going to take on
1: what they said about you and wear it as a as a your clothing or you're going to say uh sorry that's not mine but bullies are really good at reading people and finding that soft spot and poking it yeah but the truth is is that they're just as insecure as anybody else and so if you turn the light spotlight back on them it's going to end things pretty quickly
0: yeah, more often than not. That's right. Bull- bullies are themselves out for gold. They're, I mean, certainly you get your psychopaths, but that's another story who just right. like pain and discomfort. But most of them have their own story um, and and buying into it. I, I I know. I'm just thinking my wife sometimes says, and she's getting over it because she had a, uh, brought up very much as a submissive, do what you're told, are you a good girl sort of stuff. And she would uh, said the other day, she said, oh, one of my clients told me off. And I said, no, you told you, you got told off. The client just said a bunch of stuff that they didn't like, you know, that's their problem. And she said, Oh yeah, that's right. What am I doing? Why am I, why am I letting them? And really we could have just used the words you, you used, take my power. Take my, yeah, take give my your courage.
1: power. I'm just there have it. I don't need it anymore. You can have it. Just oh, slaughter me
0: now. <laughs> But there are other things in your life which, um, which, I suppose, talk about empowerment. I suppose talk about uh, difficulty of of um, difficulties in in being usual and normal uh, apparently. And it was a it was a, a stuff you talk about uh, now quite openly. And uh, it's, I'll get the word. I'll read the word. Uh gyne- gynecomastia.
1: Yeah, gynecomastia.
0: Uh, gynecomastia. And it's uh it's an issue that you had to deal with, and there are a number of ways that you dealt with. And I wonder if you could explain to people what it is for a start. Sure. How you this managed my... it. But then what was the context of the way that helped you understand boundaries and, and power and so on and so forth?
1: Well, it was my fifth book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh the
1: de- demystifying de- gynecomastia. Uh, yes, I was a classic adolescent onset of the adoles- uh, There's adult onset and there's, there's adolescent onset. Uh, it's tied to hormones, actually. Yeah. Uh, and so um, the simple answer is is that it, it's an imbalance of, it's an over, testosterone in the body gets converted to estrogen if there's too much of it. And so if you have an overbalance of testosterone and your body isn't capable of, of, of neutralizing that, then it gets converted to estrogen. And so then you can develop secondary female characteristics. This is why alcoholics often have, uh, because they're, they're trashing their body, but, uh, and so it's an older age, there can be an increase of estrogen in the body, and then you can develop secondary, uh, uh, secondary characteristic, but it's, it's a surge of adolescence. You get all this testosterone flowing through the body and, and the liver is not up to handling it. So it's a liver dysfunction that, that, that does this. Uh, and so. I develop, and I was a skinny little kid with breasts. Oh, right. The,
0: the breast tissue, of course, that'd be one. I was just imagining facial hair might change, um, you know, sort of various that, other things they it, talk about. It
1: that. But it just it, it just you gets triggered enough that you once you develop breast tissue, it's there until you cut it out. Right. It doesn't. It's not a matter of losing weight. <laughs> yeah, because it's just so it really has to be. So anyway, so I got the girls offered their bras and somehow I always managed up on the skins team on basketball (laughs) and guys would pinch my chest. So just all the usual stupid stuff the kids do, but it made me hyper conscious of that. And so I, my real clarity about boundaries didn't come until later, much later. Cause I, and so, but I have a, I guess growing up in a cult, which I did with the with really kind of harris- horrendous abuse. There was a certain way that we were taught to be in the world that didn't matter how people saw us. Uh, and so, so I always sort of had that veneer. <laughs> yeah. As uh, they, the, the Channel Four, or no, a uh, Channel Four in the BBC came over and did documentaries on me on gynecomastia. And when they were in the middle of the taping, one of them, and they stopped the taping, they said, all these guys we're talking to are devastated because they had breasts, but here you're sitting here and talking about it like it's no big issue. And I said, well, the truth is that in my lifetime or my childhood, breasts weren't even in the top five (laughs) of the problems in my childhood. So it's all a matter of perspective, too. I mean, I had other much bigger issues that were going on that needed much more of my attention than the fact that I was growing breasts. Uh, And then when I had the opportunity, I got the surgery, the first surgery, and then uh, it comes back in 30% of time of cases and came back again. So I had the second surgery. And so that was so, and that was actually on an Australian TV show. They, they came and filmed my second surgery.
0: (laughs) Wow! I mean, there's a couple of things here, which are, which are, which are really interesting. And I, I think um, boundaries, we're talking about uh, uh, what's going on in there. But I'm just hearing the word in my head of, of bravery um, and courage. And I, I, I my favorite, and I, I use that word because the way I define it comes from a book I read in high school. Uh, it's the only thing I got from the book. The Red Badge of Courage is some Civil War story. Yeah. But it uh, said, courage is a sublime lack of self-concern. Yes. And you were able to, um, and now your particular one was because, uh, you know, compared to, uh, you the you know contextually it was able to do that but I think regardless of that there's a there's a certain amount of temperament in you that um you were able to foster and develop so I'm guessing that that's another thing that gets developed and uh, is allowed to emerge more when people go through this work through these seven steps in the program this sort of thing like I'm not at risk, I put myself at risk because I'm less damageable. Yeah, yes. lots of the head. I, I, I'm. Thank you.
1: The whole program's about taking back your power. Yeah. It really isn't about holding that power in a real way that makes your life so much easier. So. Because we give our power away all the time somebody honks at you and you're ready to go kill them (laughs) or i mean really stupid stuff all the time where they say something about what you're wearing or, or what you said and it's like okay so that's your opinion have a nice day so uh and but we're we're so sensitive because we've never taught boundaries and we but also it's because in our families what people think of us, we're trained to believe that what people think of us is more important than what we think of ourselves. Mm. And so we're, we're taught to give away that power in our families. And if that's what love means to you, that's a default setting.
0: Yeah, that's really important. It's so important to understand. And I'm just thinking we, we, we're sort of bordering on another, another very interesting issue of, of being comfortable in the way you in the body that you're in or in the, 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 representation that, that, um, and I suppose that gets, we get that, that smaller group of, of people who actually find that they're in the wrong body. Uh, so this sort of working it's the importance is not about the surgeries or the this or the, that it's about having the power, having the sense of powerfulness in your boundaries. That enable you to connect and uh, uh, and engage. Um, that's that's a message that I think is uh, it's what that's my sort of little takeaway from that. And I'm I'm hoping that resonates with what you're doing.
1: It does. Uh, like I, I mentioned, self love, and that's one of the things that I take issue with because people use it as armor. Right. There are there themselves or they're armoring themselves with self-love so they can't be hurt by this and i think that's a it's a it's a miss i think it's the wrong use i think love is something you give and something you get back and i think that what we're really talking about is self-acceptance which is what you're talking about i accepted the fact i had breasts at that point i could either do something about it or not plenty of guys like their breasts and their wives like playing with their breasts.
0: <laughs> well, so, it, and it's about decisions, just decisions. Yeah, yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Like, so, I do I? Is this okay? But it's back to the same concept of twelve steps. You have to admit that you are what you are, then you can decide what you want to do about it or not do about it. But the first step is admitting that you have a problem or that this is what's going on, and so. And so it's being gay, it's having breast, it's doing bisexual, being transgender. You have to first accept who you are, and then you decide what steps are you going to do or not going to do about it.
0: And that's the- really... Yeah, and also some of the, the things you're talking about, I mean, the self-love. I mean, I, I'm listening to that in the context of uh, uh, that self-love is done as a sort of a, a, a reverse action to combat shame. Um, but the deal is... That's not what's going to get rid of shame. If you get rid of shame, then it's not sort of so much that you self-love, but you don't not love. It's 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 a funny thing. We we keep trying to add stuff rather than going back to the fundamental uh states that we can have.
1: Well, and shame is giving away your power too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely no 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 better description than the sense that I am I am not of worth or of value not, good, not yeah. good enough those those sorts of things and and that happens because you give away the power um and I talk about the the winner loser world you know the the outside world that says whether you're a winner or a loser and people say how do I fix that and I say well just tell it to piss off and <laughs> it's a lot more complex than that but fundamentally through different type of techniques and you know establishing powerful boundaries is a beautiful uh, way in which you can tell the external world and it rules of regulations and criticisms and demands to uh, on an Australian vernacular itself. Yes. I was going to say fuck off, but yes. Is it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we may have to take that out <laughs> as, as, okay. as uh, clearly this is played to kiddies. <laughs> but um. Well, we've we've gone through a lot of territory here. Um and I'm looking at 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 what um what might now be a, an appropriate time just to sort of bring this together into a into a coherent coherent sort of cogent comment, a bit of a not so much a summary, but if now you're in this point of going, well, hey, Richard says to me, Okay, what's the message? What's the fundamental framework or what's the the key thing I want to to say to people that are listening.
1: A lot of what you've been taught about who you are and how to be in the world is wrong. It's fundamentally misguided. It was all done out of love <laughs> because they're simply teaching you what they were taught. But most people aren't really well-educated around this, including, frankly, a lot of therapists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some of them are the, the worst, if this, I might add. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm a rule breaker I'm about changing the conversation changing the ground so that people can live their lives fully and a whole lot easier and so we make it so hard and it doesn't have to be hard when we really learn the fundamentals of how this all works and we're frankly just given a lot of bad information
0: I, I, I mean, what the way I uh, sort of uh, framed it in my head was, okay, your parents—they're doing their best. I did the best when my kids were young, but it's a starting point. Yes. Yes, it's not an end point.
1: So, if I could tell two short stories, would that oh, be okay? please,
0: please do. Okay. Well,
1: there's a a woman uh, who took my workshop early on when I was doing the in person one, the full day. It was a glory. It was a change workshop. This whole thing is a change. It'll change how you see yourself. It'll change how you experience yourself in the world. But she took the workshop. This was the full day in person one I did before COVID. Uh, and so the, she went to work the next week. And she was seeing nine clients a day, which I used to do all the time, too. When well, you can do that when you have these boundaries and you aren't getting sucked dry by the whole thing. And um, at the end of the day, she called her husband and said, hi, I'm on my way home. He said, should I have your cocktail ready? She says, no, I'm fine. I'll see you when I get back. And she gets home. She walks in. He says, you sure you don't need the cocktail? She says, no, I'll just freshen up, make dinner. He looked at her and said, Merle. She said, yes. (laughs) Because it's so fun. She could be with nine people a day and be fully alive and have the energy for her family instead of giving it all away at the office in a way that wasn't useful to her clients, frankly. So... (laughs) that's the power of this and so it can ch- it changes and I originally was only teaching therapists because they need this worse than anybody <laughs> yeah but I've expected it because so many professions any helping profession doctors nurses paramedics policemen all could use these better boundaries okay so the other story there's I've been thinking about this a lot so my seventh book will be my memoir so that's uh, already that's quite a story so I'm looking forward to telling that uh but i one of my most poignant memories of my mother, and she's crazy as a loon. I mean, I grew up in a cult where she, we were told in my earliest awareness that she was ruler of the world, setting of the universe, setting on the right hand of God. And we got daily misses from God, and we weren't allowed to tell anybody who we were, we'd be killed. It was quite the whole thing. We were completely isolated from the world. Right. Yes, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> But, but there's something that she did very early on. I don't, uh, we were, it was Easter. I couldn't have been more than about five years old at most. We were at the city Easter egg hunt and they shot the gun off and the kids went running and I was going with the other kids. She said, go where they're not going. (laughs) She says, don't follow them. Go the other direction. (laughs) And somehow I took that in really, really deeply. And it's really been a framing principle of my whole life is not to follow the crowd, but to find out what they're missing by going that way. What's over there? Yeah. And that's how I became me.
0: Yes. The crowd is well-versed in what is available and unversed Uh Yes, I I often uh, uh, I was just again a few days ago I was saying um, you know we talk about the road less traveled, and uh, I said maybe it's just the road more interesting, um, <laughs> and, and because because of that, Mel, that's that's such a great note to um, just wind things up as a as as a as a takeaway to everyone just to consider sometimes maybe it's okay and a good idea to go with the crowd. But remember, it's your choice, your boundaries, your power, your capabilities. And uh, I just thank you so much for, for sharing all this wonderful stuff with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. And it's great to hear your accent. That makes me feel at home. <laughs> and you can yeah. hear my accent. So well, that's wonderful. And yeah. uh...
0: <laughs> well, I look forward to having much more contact and uh, maybe even talking a, bit, a little bit further down the track when there's some other things going on. But... For now, we'll say goodbye and thank you very much, Merle Yost.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a delight. Anytime.